Good morning, everybody. Feel free to, to find a seat. We have a few that are open here <laughs> throughout. Well, it's good to see all of y'all this morning after I had a couple of weeks off. Got to spend some time uh, working on my house and a little vacation time with the family. That was uh, uh, a good time for us. I'm excited to be back and to jump back into the book of Deuteronomy. And I forgot to get out my whiteboard and write stuff on it, but I think we'll be okay, so... I'll just repeat myself a bunch on the stuff that you're going to could, could write down because I think we're going to have to move a little bit faster today. We're going to try to go from Deuteronomy 7.12 to 8.20. So we're, we're in Deuteronomy, we're in these, the section of the Shema or that section that's about the command, which is to love God with everything that you are. This is within Moses' sermon here. Chapters 6 through 8 are about the main point of the, the law, which is you're, you're to listen to it and to, to love God. You're to fear God. This is the, the heart of the whole law is right here in Deuteronomy 6 through 8. And the heart of the law points to the heart. It points to you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And in this section, we're picking up in chapter 7, verse 12. And what we begin to see here is that the heart of the law continues to instruct the heart of Israel on loving and fearing God. And he does this to, to humble them and to test them so that when they see their grade on the test, they're going to realize we need more than just a tutor. Uh, we're we're uh, worse off than we ever had realized, and that is exactly what the law has taught us. So this first paragraph, verses 12 to 16, I've labeled this uh, blessing of obedience for Israel while under the Mosaic Covenant. So this is about blessings for obedience that are specific to, to, to Israel under the Mosaic Covenant. Let's read these first few verses together, starting in 7.12. Then it will be because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that Yahweh your God will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your fathers, and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And Yahweh will take away from you all sickness, and he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt which you have known. 
but he will give them to all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples whom Yahweh your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. Let's pray as we continue in our study here. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for new hearts whereby we can see it and hear it and receive it. We thank you for your spirit who empowers us to live by it. And we pray that your spirit would illuminate these words that we are reading here, that we would appreciate them, that we would understand them, that they would excite us to love you more deeply, to bring you more glory through our lives. We pray that through this lesson that you would bear much fruit in our lives and bless our fellowship together this morning. Amen. The Mosaic Covenant, as we've talked about, it, it functions as a vehicle to connect to the, the Abrahamic Covenant blessings. You have to have some way to enjoy those elements of the land and the, the seed and the blessing that's tied up in the Abrahamic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant is the vehicle that would connect Israel to that. And you read about these blessings that when you read that, you probably thought, well, this reminds me of Genesis, you know, them being blessed and multiplied and fruit and the land and families growing and all of this sort of stuff. They're blessed with children, grain, wine, oil, herds, uh, no, nobody, no animals being barren, no sickness, no harmful diseases, and retribution being carried out toward their, the enemy who had been involved in displacing them from the land. And this is the fruit of obedience. He's saying, if you obey, then you'll be fruitful and multiply. Not as my witnesses and as people, as a family, and even with uh, your vineyards and cattle and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, if you're obedient, you'll be living out God's original creation purpose and be able to enjoy the creation as he has intended it. But the problem here is that the, the Mosaic Covenant, is, it's just a model. Uh, it can't accomplish righteousness for them. The problem with the Mosaic Covenant as a vehicle, okay, you think about a, a model vehicle, it, it can't take you somewhere. Like there's, if you have a real car and a model car and you need to drive to Costco, which one's going to get you there? The real car, but the model car can't get you there. That's the deal with the, the Mosaic Covenant. It's just a, a model. So the problem here is, one, it can't, it can't get you there and because it's just a model. And the other problem you have is that you actually can't do what it says. Your legs can't even reach the pedals. Uh, you, you don't know how to drive. You, you don't have the ability to keep God's law instruction, which all of this is pointing to what the solution is going to be, which is you need a better covenant where righteousness is accomplished for you somehow. You need a new covenant. So the old covenant was always purposed and positioned to push people to, toward the new covenant. And to point out, you need somebody who can also drive this thing for you. You need somebody who can fulfill the task that has been given to you, which you can't do. How do you know you can't do it? Well, you get tested and you fail every time you get tested. That's how you know you can't do it. 
And the one who can fulfill this is Jesus, the Messiah, which the law is pointing to him. Now, as we read this ancient text that's specific to the nation of Israel, you think about our, ourselves living in our own nation. What if, what if we obey these laws here as a nation? Will we then have awesome cattle business, uh, a lack of sickness, and then begin consuming all the peoples whom Yahweh our God will give over to us? No. <laughs> our nation is not under the, the Mosaic Covenant, which is now obsolete. As it's mentioned in Galatians 5, 18, it says you're not under the law, or in Hebrews 8.13, it says it, it, it's an obsolete covenant. It served its purpose in getting you to move out of Moses' house to go be Jesus' house. So it doesn't apply to our nation, as you see this in addressing a nation. And also, you, sometimes when people read the Bible, they read the you, and they think it's talking about just them in the singular, and prosperity preachers will say, look, if you obey God, he'll give you all of this sort of awesome stuff. You know, cattle, cars, you won't be sick, all of that sort of stuff. But you recognize that's bad Bible reading. Now, as these blessings are set out to Israel, saying, you know, if you obey these things, you'll have these sort of blessings. They have a question in their heart, which comes up in verse 17, which Moses as a preacher is addressing he says, if you should say in your heart, these nations are more numerous than I, how can I dispossess them? Now, when you look at this, they, they keep thinking about you know, their righteousness. You know, the, like, how can we do this? Like, they're not thinking about, well, this is all going to go just fine because you said that you would fight for us. So we trust you and we're going to obey you and we're going to, we're going to follow in faith that you're going to accomplish all these things that you promised. But they keep looking at their ability. And they're looking at these tall people and these bigger nations that are more numerous. And the response that's required of them relates to the nature of love as we've been discussing it through Deuteronomy, which is the book that lays out the nature of love in Scripture. Here's what it says in verse 18. It says, You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what Yahweh your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which Yahweh your God brought you out. So shall Yahweh your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, Yahweh your God will send the hornet against them until those who remain and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them, for Yahweh your God is in your midst, a great and fearsome God. And Yahweh your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put them, to put an end to them quickly, lest the wild beasts become too numerous for you. But Yahweh your God will give them over before you and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hands so that you will make their name perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. 
the graven images of their gods. You are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to Yahweh your God. And you shall not bring an abomination into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it, and you shall utterly abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. You see here in concerns to the nature of love is that love remembers what God has done for you. They were to remember the exodus. And love is to, to listen to God, which that word listen isn't just to hear and comprehend what he said, but to obey him. Just like uh, when we would talk to our, our kids, we say, listen to me. You know, we don't want them to just comprehend information. We want them to actually go do the dishes. And this is tied up in fearing God as well. The nature of love is it, it remembers, it listens, and it fears God alone. And when you fear God, you're forsaking sin and you're following him. You're turning away from idols and you're turning to him to follow the living God. So love and love for God, what we do is we, we, we discipline ourselves to not be apathetic toward remembering God's redemption. Uh, we make a disciplined effort to be putting ourselves in a place where we're remembering that God has redeemed us. We're remembering what he has done for us, which is why as a congregation, one of the things we do, we regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. That's why Christians today will have daily Bible reading plans so that they have a discipline whereby they're putting themselves in remembrance of the redemption that God has graciously given to them. But as they're told to, I mean, think about this, they're being told to remember you know, what, what happened back in Egypt. Remember all this stuff that God did, but these other people are scary. <laughs> yeah, well, God is scarier than the scary people. Uh, he's greater and more fearsome. He's like, remember what happened in Egypt, people. Uh, these people are not that big of a deal like you think they are. You shall not dread them, for Yahweh your God is in your midst. So it's like, it, just think about it, guys. It's like there's all those nations, and then there's God. Who's bigger? You know, Yahweh, your God. So love remembers what God did in the past, but it also looks forward to what he's going to do in the future. What you see, this is another major theme in Deuteronomy. It's focused on Israel going into the land. They're, always, they're looking forward to that, and they're actually physically in a location where they're looking at the wilderness behind them and the promised land before them as this sermon is being preached to them. And when we look back in the past at what God has done for us and in the future and what he will do, that's what helps our hearts to be, cultivate a healthy fear of God today. But today we're looking back not only at the Exodus, but we also look back at another Exodus event, which was the cross, where God didn't just move people from a location to another location, but he has redeemed them and paid for their sins and given them the new hearts that they need. It, we also have a similarity in looking forward to the defeat of all of God's enemies, uh, those who would stand against God and his people. We look forward to the 
return of Christ, not his first coming, but his second coming. And what Jesus does when he returns, as we read in the book of Revelation, is far greater and more fearsome than everything you have ever read in the newspaper. I don't know, that's like an old thing. Does anybody even have newspapers anymore? Sean does, all right. All right. <laughs> Every day. Uh, news blog article feed. You know, those things. Like, you'll, you'll never read anything, you know, more catastrophic and fearsome than Revelation. And this is a reminder that there, there isn't anybody that's greater or anything that's more fearsome than the God of creation. You know, our fear should be in him alone. When we look at these other nations and we think about what they might do to us, we should think about what God's going to do to them if they're on the wrong side of him. We need to remember that God is greater and more fearsome and that it is he who fights for his people, which is what the name Israel means. It means, you know, God fights for you. And Israel was supposed to destroy these pagan nations but as we know they're going to they're going to fail to fulfill God's law instruction which its purpose was to point that out to them like you can't do this uh, you need somebody to fight for you which God has been telling them all along that's what I'm going to do I'm going to fight for you uh, I'm going to be the substitute law instruction fulfiller for you and so you see there's this relationship of Yahweh to Israel and the land. If I had my board, I would draw a triangle and put Yahweh at the top and Israel over here and then the land over here. And they were to, to carry out this devoting these other nations to destruction, not out of antipathy for them, not because they hated these people, but because these people deserved God's judgment and the way that he decided that he was going to judge them was using Israel as his tool, while at the same time accomplishing protecting Israel from the false religion and worship practices that were around them. And this wasn't some sort of whimsical decision, as you might remember back in with Abraham and the book of Genesis. God told him that the, the time of the Amorites hadn't been fulfilled, which these were some Canaanite people that were right before Israel at this point in history. And he had, it's been over four centuries of God being patient with these people and not wiping any of them out and making known this message of redemption that's in Yahweh. Uh, it wasn't like they were ignorant of these things. These other nations had heard about and seen the Exodus event because it, it happened in this little valley and then there's all the hill people there going, what is going on <laughs> down there? And they see a God who delivers a people who's come out and they have this tent and this stuff and they're doing these things and these sacrifices and what's going on here? And we've never seen anything like this, but we don't want their God to come to our place because that means that we're going to be gone like Egypt was. But the other problem with this, these nations is if, if they remain, as we discussed, they would be a snare to Israel. They, they could potentially be seduced by the power of idolatry. You know, if they don't put away the opportunity 
to sin in that way, they will end up doing that because it's so seductive. So behind these firm boundaries which Moses is laying out, he's he's shown there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And Israel was to understand themselves as having a a special status among the nations because they're the, the chosen people of God. They were the only nation that was chosen to be given uh, this opportunity to, to be a living gospel tract before the world. The only ones who was given this whole system of worship and this opportunity to evangelize and be a blessing to other nations. And this sort of concept gets picked up in the New Testament, as we've often been reminded in First Peter, where he's talking about the church here. And he says, but you are a chosen family a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lusts, Lust, which wage war against the soul by keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We don't want to blur the boundaries between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And we want to recognize that we do have a fight. And it is against the kingdom of darkness, but our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. When you think about that text from Exodus being you know, applied and preached in First Peter and you notice he, he doesn't say you're a kingdom of priests, but he says you're a royal priesthood. And I think the point he's making and adapting that, that text to the church is he's not addressing the church as a, a national political entity like Israel was. And when you look around at you know, the, the, the nations on a map, you know, Christian isn't one of them. Uh, that's, where, that's a distinction between the church and Israel. So when you read this, you don't think, well, our church needs to like form a better military and we need to go to, to, to war with all of these people and put them down so that our children aren't given to idolatry. But our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's, it's a spiritual battle that we're, we're carrying out. And there's also something similar within the Old Covenant and to where we're not making flesh and blood alliances with unbelievers to forward God's plan, which Paul taught to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, when he said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has a sanctuary of God idols for we are a sanctuary of the living God just as God said I will dwell in them 
and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So when you think about this in contemporary ways, you know, we're not, we're not partnering with unbelievers to forward anything in God's mission. You know, one time I had to personally deal with this. I was part of a ministry. We would preach outside of a, an abortion clinic and counsel and minister to and help people who were abortion-minded, and there were a, some Roman Catholics who were there who wanted to partner together. So when it came to this text, it said, we, we have no partnership in this. Uh, I'm not just here to, in hopes that the abortion would be staved off, but whoever would hear me preaching would be saved. You know, my greater concern is for the salvation of, of souls and that these mothers and fathers would find salvation and they'd have a, a legacy of gospel witness that would pass on to their child who would live. And the Roman Catholic people being of the darkness didn't like that so much and it caused a lot of conflict. But we also think of that in, we see uh, the, the, the world's fallen apart and we need to partner politically with so-and-so and such-and-such so we'll have some more influence in the world and that'll make everything better. Now, we don't want to confuse Capitol Hill with the city on the hill that we're supposed to be most given to. You know, God's, God's plan A for the world is the church and there isn't a plan B. There isn't a backup plan. Uh, it's, this is how he's making the light of himself known in the world. This is his witness. It's the redeemed. And also, as we heard back there in 1 Peter, our, our, our battle is also against our own sinful passions. A lot of times we think, well, the world would be a better place if those people could get fixed because <laughs> they're, they're the ones who have all the problems, which we have some problems ourselves inside of us as well, which is why we need to remember God's past grace. We need to remember his unchanging greatness. We need to think upon his future grace and how he has promised things to work out in the future so that we will stand firm on the rock that is our God who protects and provides and guides now move into chapter 8. I'm labeled this chapter the, 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 the humbled and tested heart. So as the law focuses on the heart, it focuses on this idea of how it's humbled and how it's tested in chapter 8. And I'll read through this whole chapter and then we'll work through it together. The entire commandment that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which Yahweh swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which Yahweh your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you shall know in your heart that Yahweh your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So you shall keep the commandments of Yahweh your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For Yahweh your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And so you will eat and be satisfied and you shall bless Yahweh your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware lest you forget Yahweh your God by not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Lest you eat and are satisfied and build good houses and live in them and your herds and your flocks multiply. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now it will be, if you ever forget Yahweh your God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that Yahweh makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of Yahweh your God. Here again, we're reminded of the, the nature of, of love, which involves careful obedience. He said, the entire command, which the command is to love God, said, you have to be careful to do this. It's not something that you accidentally do. It's not something that you can haphazardly do or that you just do it by default. You have to be careful to do this. It wasn't also something merely something to, to think about or to speak well about, but you remember the Lord pointed out to Moses, he says, well, when the people said, you know, we'll obey you and do everything that you said, he says, they have spoken well, but oh, that they had a heart to actually do the things that they said that they would do, which is the problem of the heart. So love remembers its commitment to God. And it's not to forget that. And to be careful to remember what Yahweh did in the wilderness. What you read in 1 Corinthians 10, it 
Paul lays out how we should interpret a text like this. And he says, it was, it's, this was an example for you so that you wouldn't desire idolatry like they did, but it was also instructive for them. How was it instructive for them? Well, he was reminding Israel of their disobedience. So after he said, we're going to obey everything you said. He says, guys, I want you to remember your track record in obedience. Let's go back to, you know, the manna. You remember what happened with the bread and like what I told you guys and then what you said to me? It's like, well, what was the purpose of all of that? Well, it was to humble them and to test them. And the test wasn't so that God could learn something about them. The test was to, to point out to them what was actually in their heart. Uh, the, the, the law is like a, a surgical tool that goes inside of man's heart and it cuts it open and says, look, see, what, see what's actually here. And when it comes to the law, given that the summary of it is to love God with everything you are, if you break one law, you've actually broken all of it because anytime you break a law, you're not loving God anytime you sin against him. And this is also laying out a paradigm for how God tests his people. And the way that he humbled them and tested them was he let them go hungry. He took something away from them in order to test them so that they could see that they don't trust God's word but they should. He's never been unfaithful, but he just brought a, a little bit of removing some food, a little bit of scarcity just to show that to them. But at the same time, you have grace being displayed in there. They have these unfading clothes, these sandals that uh, never wear out. And they could remember that. They said, well, you know, God who has made all food, he can feed us. Like, well, how do you know? Like, there's no food. It's like, check out my clothes. Check out these sandals. Like, God provides people. We can trust him. We're going to be all right. And verse 5, it says, Thus you shall know in your heart, because the law is to instruct the heart. He says, you shall know in your heart that Yahweh your God was disciplining you as a man disciplines his son. So you see in God's electing love, he had adopted Israel. Uh, he adopted them all the way back in the book of Exodus. In chapter 4, verse 22, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And it was being adopted as sons that was to be the basis for their obedience. They, they, they weren't obeying to try to get into God's family. Uh, it started with being adopted, and then the family likeness was to follow after being adopted into that family, which is when you get to Deuteronomy 14. You see their obedience is based on their adoption. In these words, he says, You are the sons of Yahweh your God. Well, well, what does that mean for us? Well, you shall not gash yourselves nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. Well, why not? For you are a holy people to Yahweh your God, and Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And the unchanging God still disciplines his people today. Similarly, as we read in 
Hebrews chapter 12, it says, It is through discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now you think about it. It can be a wearying sort of thing to be disciplined by God because discipline is painful. But when you see and recognize this trial that God has brought into my life is to discipline me. It's to show me that I have this sin. It's to test me to show that I have remaining sin and I'm failing in some ways, but he's doing this to guide me towards something better. But it's also showing me I'm a legitimate son. He's disciplining me because he loves me. He's disciplining me because he wants something better for me. He's disciplining me because he actually is my father. Which is why I tell my kids sometimes when I find out things that they thought that they were going to hide from me. I said, the fact that I found out is evidence that God loves you. So the day that I stop finding out and you start getting away with things, you should be scared to death because it might be evidence that God isn't taking care of you. The nature of the test, as you see, it's, it's about trusting God and his word ultimately. Do you see that? He, he was trying to teach them that man doesn't live by bread alone, but everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Uh, more important than being able to eat three times today is being able to take in God's word. Uh, if, and you know what happens if you don't eat. You get, you get cranky. Yeah, you don't feel as good. There's not as much you know, energy to do things. It's the same thing when you're not taking in God's word, remembering it somehow to, to give you spiritual health to walk with him, yeah, which is, you know, that's some of the words that we, we hear. He says, keep these things, walk in these things, to fear God. These are the commands that are given here. Keep, walk, fear. It's like, well, why, why do that? Do you do that just because, you know, God might thump you? He's like, no. He says, remember God's character. You're not doing it just because discipline might come, but he's been gracious to me and he's guiding me towards the best possible thing. Uh, why wouldn't I want to follow him and to trust his promises? And Israel here at this point, they're looking forward to the promise of a good land, which these things that are discussed here are reminiscent of Eden and what that was like and looking forward to a return back to having a relationship with God like Adam had. And so the correct response that they're to, to have toward God, as we read in verse 10, he says, you know, when you eat and you be satisfied, he says, you shall bless Yahweh, your God, for the good land which he has given you. you know, you're, you're to bless him. You're to be thankful to him, which you think, oh, well, what's the opposite of that if you're not doing that? Well, it's ingratitude. Uh, ingratitude is the beginning of the road to idolatry. You can think about that in Romans 1 when it talks about the, the people that don't know. They say they don't know God and they don't thank him. They don't give thanks to him. Any day that you're living, if you're not giving thanks to God, you should be concerned about the, the health of your soul. You think you know, this ingratitude for the fact that I could get up and have pajamas and a bowl of cereal or whatever you have in the morning or 
your eggs. And I know nobody can buy bacon anymore. I'm sorry about that. But if anybody has some and you want to share it, <laughs> you know, our home fellowship group is going to be at the Booth's house this evening. <laughs> but you see, we're to, we're to bless God for the good gifts that he's uh, given us to remember to be grateful and you see a, a response to this internal test that God is giving and you know, he's telling to, to be aware of forgetting God's goodness of being aware of forgetting that God has provided food for you and clothes so don't be apathetic that's the idea with forgetting there it's not that it's just whoops it, it slipped my mind but you're just choosing to do other things you're choosing not to be remembering that God has been good to you and why might they forget? Well, one of the reasons we see is because they, they end up not perceiving that they have any need because he says, one, you're going to be wealthy when you're in the good lane. You're not going to have any need and you'll, you could grow apathetic towards remembering me because you won't come to me and ask for things because you won't have any need. He says, you need to watch out for what happens in your heart in the day of prosperity because you could become apathetic towards loving God and remembering his redemption. So God humbles and tests them by taking away things that they trusted in to remind them and instruct them, God is the one who provides for you. So, well, how do you remember that? Well, he takes those things away for a little bit so that you'll look back to him and go, you're the one who provides for me. It, it wasn't me doing this. It's always been you all along. Thank you for taking those things away and reminding me that you're a faithful provider. And this idea of being blessed is tied to this idea of being able to enjoy God's gifts in thankfulness to him. You know, you know people can have a, a lot of stuff and just be ungrateful. Uh, you can think about really wealthy people. They have all this stuff, but they, they, they need more stuff. They don't like the stuff that they have. And like, ah, I got all this junk I got to take care of and whatnot. Well, part of the blessing is being able to enjoy, enjoy the things that God has actually given you, that you're able to enjoy what you can while you can, which is part of the wisdom that's given in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's amazing that our hearts can be so backwards to the things that God say are uh, a blessing. You think uh, in scriptures, children are a blessing from the Lord. You know, you say that to some people and they kind of smirk and they kind of laugh. And they're like, yeah, right. If I ever do that, just slap me in the back of the head, but don't do it like straight like that. You got to have that upward motion so you don't hurt me real bad because that is the wrong response. Well, we should remember, you know, children are a blessing from the Lord. How do we know that? God says so. And that, that is the right perspective. And when, when I get that, I'll have the ability to enjoy that good gift or even fellowship at times. You know, it can, you're, maybe you're part of a home fellowship group. You know, it can, it can feel like a burden. You're like, oh man, I gotta like, cook the food and make the stuff and then I gotta drive there and take it to the people. And remember, I was like, you know, the reason I have food to cook is because God has blessed me with an abundance that I can like, actually take to other people. And I was going to cook something anyways. Like why? Am I, like all of a sudden when other people are involved, now I want to complain about it. All right, you are already going to use your energy to be doing stuff, but now you're just putting it toward other people rather than yourself. 
But it, it's a blessing when you see the, these things are not a burden. Uh, because God has blessed me, I can bless other people. Like, this is going to be awesome. And, and then you end up like way overdoing it and you bring way too much food. And people are like, why did you bring all of this? And you're like, do you want to take some home with you? And then you feed somebody else's family for like a whole week on all that extra chili you made, which is awesome. Verses uh, 19 to, to 20 is a fearful warning given to Israel. I mean, how would you like to hear that in a sermon? It's like, if you ever forget Yahweh your God, you will die. <laughs> and uh, that, that's a pretty intense sermon to be here to hearing. But we want to, it's something that helps cultivate the fear of God in us that if you forget God and you, you turn away from him, he'll treat you like somebody who has turned away from him. Uh, you'll be like those who deserve to be devoted to destruction and you will be. And as we've discussed throughout our study of scripture, when we look at God's faithfulness, his, his faithfulness isn't just to his promises. It's not just about salvation, but it's also his faithfulness to judge. You know, that's tied up in it as well. And you see that even when Israel, when they, when they test God, you know, they're testing his faithfulness to judge. They say, God's not going to judge us if we complain about the, the food and the meat and the water. And God says, yes, I will. I'm faithful. I said that I'm going to judge you and I'm going to do it. And he's reminding them of his faithfulness and judgment, but also his faithfulness in that I did deliver you guys, but it, it wasn't because you deserved it. It wasn't because of anything you did. It's solely because of my sovereign choice to love you and redeem you. And he's reminding them of these things as he's trying to get them to look back at his faithfulness to them, their, their unfaithfulness to him, but also looking forward to the good land that he's promised to give them so that he, he'll break down this spirit of independence in them. So he'll break down this self-sufficiency in them by helping them to remember the Lord lest he cause them to perish. And so you're seeing these themes of remembering, forgetting. So, you know, remember, don't forget. And you're also seeing these themes of the, pro the, the wilderness and the promised land. So you need to remember what happened in the, the wilderness and to look forward to the promised land. So this is... The thing about the nature of love that I think is added here in the book of Deuteronomy is it teaches us about loving God, that we, we, we love God by not being proud. You know, we love God by not being self-sufficient. So we love God by not being proud and self-sufficient. So when you come home from Costco, you don't say, my hand has brought us all these things which is maybe not exactly how you would say it, but <laughs> he says, but you want to remember you know, the, the Lord has given you the ability to, to earn money, to have money, to spend money, to push a cart, to put stuff in it, to buy it, to get in the car, to drive it back, to give it to other people, to prepare it, all of that sort of stuff. That's all from God. I mean, what, what do you have in life that you didn't receive Nothing, nothing. I mean, we have way more to be grateful for than we, you could probably even think of. I mean, just 
just try it sometime. Just like, like everything, this includes everything. Floor, God, thank you that I got a floor. God, thank you that I got shoes. I got socks. I got stuff that's falling out of my freezer. The freezer door won't even shut. I'm like, it's hard to be blessed sometimes. I like how much stuff I have. What am I going to do with it? What pride, pride says, pride says, I did it. And self-righteousness says, okay, God did it, but it's because I did what he said. You hear the difference there? Pride says, I did it. But self-righteousness says, okay, God did it, but it's because I did the right thing. And if you do what I do, you'll have the same success that I have in life. It's kind of like a, a Joel Osteen sermon. <laughs> so God humbled these people in the wilderness to make known what was in their hearts. Now, there's some parts in this section of scripture that you know that are quoted in another section of scripture, which is where? Can you give us a cross-reference later in the Bible where it talks about bread and trusting God and worshiping him alone and being tested in the wilderness and the number 40 is involved. Have I given you enough hints yet? All right, this side of the room feels like they have the answer. <laughs> yeah, this is when the, the devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness. 40 days, 40 nights. It's bringing back to mind this particular event, but now at the, that time in history and the temptation of Jesus, the, the law has pointed forward to that moment happening and Jesus coming and doing the Shema and living out Deuteronomy 6 through 8 in the place of Israel who could never do it. So when he shows up, he says, I'm trusting God for the bread, even though I don't have it. It's been taken away. And I could turn stones into bread, but that wouldn't show that I'm trusting God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And he accomplishes for his people what they could never do themselves while also being the example that they need and what it looks like to trust God. Again, a reminder that spiritual food is more important than physical food. I have a quote from J.C. Ryle from his book, Holiness, which I'll recommend to you again if you have never read J.C. Ryle. You should read J.C. Ryle. If you're going to pick one book to start with, start with Holiness. If you've got other books that you're planning to read, move them down on the list. Put J.C. Ryle at the top, and then you can get to your other books. Uh, he, he says this in Holiness. He says, I have the privilege of being one of Christ's ambassadors. In his name, I can offer eternal life to any man, woman, or child who is willing to have it. In his name, I do offer pardon, peace, grace, glory to any son or daughter of Adam who reads this paper. But I dare not offer that person worldly prosperity as a part and parcel of the gospel. I dare not offer him long life and increased income and freedom from pain. I dare not promise the man who takes up the cross and follows Christ that in the following he shall never meet with a storm. I know well that many do not like these terms. They would prefer to have Christ and good health, 
Christ and plenty of money, Christ and no deaths in their family, Christ and no wearing cares, Christ and a perpetual mourning without clouds. But they do not like Christ and the cross, Christ and tribulation, Christ and the conflict, Christ and the howling wind, Christ and the storm. You see here, the, to enter into fellowship with Christ is to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings and to enter into learning obedience through suffering just as he himself did as not only our victory in salvation, but also our example. Suffering is normal in life. That's one of the things we talk about in the youth group sometimes that one of the things that's really normal in life is that it's just mundane. Most of life is really mundane. The other thing that regularly happens in life is suffering. So you should never be surprised when you're just like, this day is very ordinary or I'm suffering again. You know, we shouldn't be surprised by it. It's normal in a fallen world to experience these things, but how do we deal with the temptation to ingratitude when those things happen? How do we cultivate a heart that would trust God and to look to Him and to live in Christ's likeness and trusting in God's Word in those moments, recognizing that to take up one's cross and to, to deny oneself and to take up the cross and to follow Him it feels like denying yourself and it looks like taking up a cross to, to follow him. Michael Grisanti on his commentary on Deuteronomy and talking about this idea of forgetting God or and remembering him, he says, a person who forgets God and his deeds has closed his or her eyes to the many marvelous things God did in behalf of his people. Such a person conducts a life completely untouched by who God is and what he does. You know, think about that. There's so many marvelous things that God has done for us in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, to deliver us from eternal wrath, to adopt us into his family, to give us this fellowship, to guide us into walking in his creation purpose, to guide us in walking into uh, his wisdom and living according to how things work in his world and to be able to enjoy fearing God and keeping his commands while we think about who he is and what he does, which is God's glory. That's who he is and what he does. So love remembers, love fears God with total respect and love is carried out in careful obedience, which involves taking in the word of God and trusting it. H how important is the word of God to you? Uh, where is the word of God at in your life? Where is the word of God going to be at in your life tomorrow and the next day and throughout the week and what plans do you have for yourself in relation to the word of God this month and next month and for the rest of this year and for next year if you don't have a, a plan if you fail to plan you plan to fail that's cheesy but it's true <laughs> you 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 we I like we need the word of God more than we, we ever could know. 
And I think this sort of analogy where it's compared to food here is helpful to us because we think of it like, I, I need breakfast, I need lunch, I, I, I need dinner. Uh, if I don't have it, I could die. <laughs> I know it's, some of y'all are more extreme like that. You'll live though. <laughs> uh, but we should be like that with the word of God. Like I, I have to have it. I, I need it. And, and sometimes that, that involves reading it. Sometimes that might be some sort of reminder. You, you're, you're memorizing certain scriptural truths or passages because they're timely. They're helping you to, to battle sin or they're things that have intrigued you about who God is. You need to be cultivating these sort of things in yourself and to recognize that turning away from walking in the wisdom of God's word and turning away from remembering it will be destructive. It will always be to your detriment. And we'll learn more about that when we get to Deuteronomy 17 and it talks about the king, that his greatest temptations would be to, to multiply gold, gals, and giddy up, which is, you know, stuff, junk, horses, military things. And he says, well, how, how are you going to guard your heart from all of that stuff, from the finances, the females, and the frivolous junk? <laughs> Folly? Well, it's, yeah, it's stuff, stuff, I don't know. Okay, we'll work on that one. We'll work on that one. Uh, how, how do you guard your heart from that? He says, Here, here's what you need to do, king. Write down a copy of the law and read it every day. So if you're thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to do for my Bible reading plan, just start writing the Bible down. <laughs> just open it up and just start copying it and, and reading it every day. If you want some other ideas on a plan, you know, we, we, can, we can talk about that. But, you know, that's something at least. Like, I'm just going to keep writing it down and reading it. And that, that simple task will save you from a, a thousand heartaches and disappointments and failures in life. Uh, in, in a way, the Christian life is very simple. Just stay in the word. Stay in God's word. Keep looking to Christ and following him, listening to him, walking with him, fearing him. Keep bringing him to remembrance. Now, we're going to end here. And what we're going to do next week is we're going to jump out of Deuteronomy and look at that temptation narrative, Matthew 4, Luke 4, and Jesus, and how he, he lives out the Shema, how he fulfills it, and how it's instructive for our own battle against temptation, where we'll see Jesus there, and he, he fulfills righteousness in the wilderness. He's an example of righteous, righteousness in the wilderness. And we see a, a parallel to Israel, but instead of you know, a negative example, we're seeing the positive example of Christ. So it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have arrived. So if you wanna prepare for next week, we'll be in Matthew 4 or Luke 4 or both. Probably Luke 4. I might pick that one. But 
to read that temptation narrative, to think about it and its relationship to Deuteronomy and how it's instructive and helpful for us in our own battle against sin and our own desire to walk faithfully with the God who has redeemed us. So I'll close us in prayer and I gotta drive up the hill. I'm gonna preach the main service at a church in Alta saying, pray for me while I'm up there and you can pray for Dave while he's here. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you give us instruction and that it's the best instruction, that you, the, the God of wisdom, gives us wisdom to walk in. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you help us. Thank you that you've given us hearts to love you. Thank you that you've given us other brothers and sisters who love you and help us to walk with you. Thank you that you've given us one another to serve one another to pray for one another to reprove and correct one another to be trained in righteousness together. Thank you that we do not walk and sojourn through this passing away world alone, but you've given us a family to be a part of. You've brought us into the church and into this gathering to, to hear from your very word today and to see it lived out among one another I pray that you give us eyes to see your work, O Lord, among us as we look to your word, as we pray together, as we fellowship together, as we consider what you're doing in our lives at the current moment that we're in and the circumstances that we have, that we would think about all the things we have to be grateful for unto you, that we would think about the good that you're working in our lives, even though we may be walking through things that are hard. Help us to have a greater and deeper conviction to be listening to your word. Help us to have a plan to do that well. Help us to encourage one another in the deeds that you have prepared beforehand that we would walk in. We pray all these things for the sake of us fearing your name so that your great name might be testified to through our small lives in some way. I pray that you would Get much glory for yourself through us, through our church, through our fellowship as we gather and scatter week to week. Amen.